Let's start with prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, I'm so thankful that we can all be here. I'm so thankful, Lord, to turn around and see every single face in the congregation this morning. Lord, I know that it is no accident that you've brought them here. It's no accident. The word that they'll hear this morning will be good for each one of us in many different ways. So I pray, Lord, that you would please cause our hearts to be soft and receptive to what you would speak to us. Lord, and though Christ fellowship is small in number, please make us big in love, devotion, and obedience to you, God. Use your word to draw sinners and to build up the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled the message this morning, Key to the Kingdom, and you'll see why in just a moment. Key to the Kingdom. And we saw last week that as Jesus continued to travel south, he's getting closer to Jerusalem. And chapter 10 started us off with some topics of great interest, but also topics of great contention, especially for non-Christians, topics of marriage and divorce. You might remember that in discussing those, we learned many things things that we needed to know about marriage and what to make it strong and good, but then the things also about divorce and how there were only two reasons, two exceptions for it to be there in the Scriptures. If you missed those, please go listen to last week's message. But I want to talk about that. There's actually going to be five total topics that Jesus addresses in this chapter, Mark chapter 10, as he's making his way further south now and now finds himself in Judea, the southern part of Israel. He touches on five different topics in this chapter, the first being the one that we covered in the last two messages. I'm just going to lump them together, though they are two things, marriage and divorce. We're just going to say marriage slash divorce as one topic, okay? Today we're going to talk about children and children as the key to the kingdom. Next week, the perils of possessions. Fourth topic for this chapter is sacrificial service. And then the last topic of this chapter is faith, namely faith of a blind man that we're going to see in weeks to come. The Holy Spirit, he's not only perfect in how he inspired Mark to record these things, he's also perfect in how he led our Lord Jesus while he was here on the earth and with whom he had our Lord Jesus interact why do I say that last part? Well, because in bringing certain people to Jesus at certain times, both those who loved him and those who hated him, <laughs> we receive a record of truth that, if understood and followed, becomes, of course, to great benefit to us. Everything that's recorded in Scripture is of great benefit to the believer and who he brought to Jesus at different times are recorded for all eternity, for all believers of every time and era to read and to benefit from. And the portion that the Lord has us in this morning of Mark chapter 10 is this section that is going to teach us all um, because Jesus is going to interact with parents, he's going to interact with uh, children, he's going to interact with disciples, and the Lord has something to say to us, each one of us through these interactions this morning. 
our Lord has something to teach us all about children, about ourselves, and about, and most importantly, himself this morning. So let me read the text to you. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 is where we're going to be. A shorter section than what we've been, uh, much shorter than what we're going to attempt to tackle next week. And this is what it says in verses 13 through 16 of Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of God. So verse 13, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now though we just came out of a very contentious meeting, the Jews confronting Jesus, trying to trap him in his words, especially there in that region where Herod Antipas just might arrest him and do away with him like he did with John the Baptist. So that was a very contentious meeting that we just saw. The truth is, many people were very happy that Jesus was there. These were the ones bringing the children to Jesus that day. More than likely, these were parents of those children. It was a Jewish custom, especially for fathers towards children, fathers to children, to place their hands on them for the purpose of pronouncing a blessing upon them. It's a very Jewish practice we see throughout the Scriptures. You've seen that as you've read, especially the Old Testament. Now We see examples of the patriarchs especially doing that. Abraham, uh, Jacob, pronouncing a blessing on their children. The Hebrew blessing usually consisted of three things. There were others as well, but these three primary things, a meaningful touch, usually the hand was placed upon the head. Number two, it consisted of a spoken word. This was an audible blessing given out loud. It was never silent. Thirdly, the blessing was spoke of a special future, usually a future of physical prosperity for the child, but also secondly, And I would say more important, the spiritual blessing that the child would follow the ways of the Lord, and that's where the blessings would flow from, actually. We know that. So it's likely that this was what the parents had in mind. It's likely that the parents wanted Jesus to place his hands on them for the purpose of blessing and not for healing. That does not come up in this portion. It doesn't seem that these children were sick lame. It's just to bless them, which we'll actually see was true toward the end, which you already heard, but we don't get that in the first verse. We just get that he might touch them. And I believe it was just for blessing, which becomes clear at the end there. So the parents recognized Jesus as a man of God. Now, whether or not they fully and completely grasped the Messiahship And all that that meant, it's it's doubtful that they actually grasped all that. It's very likely, however, though, that they at least understood that this man was a man of God and therefore represented God. Whether or not at that point they just saw him as a great 
prophet, a, a true prophet, or that they really thought this is the son of David. We don't know, but the principle would still have been the same. You represent God, and therefore we want you to bless our children and have the hand of God upon our children. That's what we want for them. This is what all good and godly parents want for their children. The parents would have had to have been active, though, to take their children to Jesus. They would have had to have made a choice upon hearing that Jesus was passing through their town to get up and go to where Jesus was. And they would have had to have also put other priorities of that day aside to make this meeting with Jesus the highest priority. They would have had to have made all those choices to get their children into the presence of Jesus. Parents, what priorities are you willing to set aside to make sure that your children are exposed to the presence of Jesus. You will have to set aside some priorities to make that a higher priority. We all do. Whether or not you're an ordained minister like myself or an average layman, we all have to make getting our presence exposed, getting our children rather, exposed to the presence of Jesus a priority, and that involves making other priorities lesser priorities. And let me tell you, however, those lesser priorities scream for your attention louder than Jesus screams for your attention. They scream. They are like needy people, needy children that say, me first, me first, I am more important and they're not. But I wake up just like you, thinking about everything I've got to do that day. And it's only by God's grace when I first choose to sit down and read my Bible before tackling those things. Me reading my Bible, me exposing myself to Jesus helps me expose my children to Jesus. That's just like on the airplane, if you've ever been on an airplane, you've given all those rules. This is how you buckle your seatbelt. The exits are here and here. What do they tell you about the oxygen masks? Place it on yourself first before you place it on the one you're trying to help. Why? Because you're no good to the person beside you if you're dead. You're no good to your children if you're spiritually dead either. So one way to make sure your children are exposed to the presence of Jesus is to make sure you're exposing yourself to his presence. Then it becomes a higher priority for you. So I don't just want to stand up here and say, make Jesus a higher priority. Parents, do better. Now let's move on. No, that's not what I want to do. That can motivate people, but fear is a guilt and fear. That's just the poor motivator. Let me motivate you instead to Move yourself into his presence more. And then you'll be more motivated to move your children into his presence and you'll be better at it. 
These people put everything else aside that day in order to get their children to Jesus. It was vitally important to them. They said, everything else we have to do today, it can wait. But not everyone thought so. Not everyone thought, parents, you made a good choice by being here. We're glad to have you. Look at the rest of verse 13. And the disciples rebuked them. So seeing themselves as something like Jesus' political handlers, they sought to keep people from Jesus that they believed would keep Jesus from his mission. These little ones weren't worth Jesus' time, in their opinion. Jesus Christ of Nazareth has bigger and more important things to do than lay his hands on your dirty-faced children. Go away. So the text says they rebuked these people. Now, the word rebuked that's used here is also used in other places in Mark. The same Greek word is used when Jesus rebukes a demon in chapter 1, verse 25, it says, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Same Greek word. Also, it's used in chapter 4, verse 39, when Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. So this would have been a firm reprimand on the part of the twelve towards the parents with the, with the young children. Now we're going to see... We already know that Jesus has a great affection for children. He loves children. We know that song. The song's in your head right now, the one that you sang as a little child about Jesus loving the little children. And what's interesting is that his followers didn't yet. I'll put yet in there. They're not in their best place right now, but they will be. They will be. So how does Jesus reply to his his handlers? Air quotes around his handlers. Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus sees what they're doing. He does not praise them for it. He does not thank them for it. He gets angry at them. You know, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is said said to be indignant. Now, that word is used in other places in the Gospels. This is the only time we read of Jesus being indignant, specifically using that adjective. There's a man named James Edwards. He's an author. He's also a New Testament scholar. He had this to say about Jesus' indignation. He said, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. In other words, let me just word it this way. What you hate reveals a lot about what you love, doesn't it? What you hate reveals a lot about what you love. We should all desire Christ's blessings on our children because Jesus loves children. So Jesus tells them to come to him. Let them come to me. We all want Jesus' blessing on children, our own children, and others' children. 
on all children, whether they be already born or still in the womb. We want Jesus' blessing on all of them. Born and unborn, our own or others. And Jesus tells us the primary reason for why the children should be allowed to come to him. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's why. He says, for. For is another way of saying because. Let them come because to such belong the kingdom of God. Other translations word it, the kingdom belongs to such as these. That's how I learned it in the old King James. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Belongs to ones like this. That's what he's saying. So what does Jesus mean by that? Danny Aiken made these helpful remarks as to why the kingdom of God belongs to ones such as these children. He said this. He said, children don't know all they need, but they know they need the help of others, and they are hopeful they will receive it. They come small, helpless, and powerless. They have no clout or standing. Children, clout means like sense of importance. They have no clout or standing, and they bring nothing, listen to this, but empty hands. This is appropriate since only empty hands can be filled Isn't that good? They bring nothing but empty hands, and that's appropriate because only empty hands can be filled. I liked that by him when I read it and wanted to share it with you all. So children, especially small children, by the way, the word that's used for children here means very small children. There are different words for children in the Greek. This one means small children, like three years and under. So children, especially small ones, are dependent, and they know it. They know they need an adult to help them. They reach out for adults to help them, to pick them up. And the truth is that without an adult giving them what they needed, three years and under, they would die. We know that. God's made them dependent It's not like some animals, I mean, it's not like some things in the animal kingdom where they're born and a few minutes later, they're up and running. I watched a documentary about these animals that are migrant animals going across Africa. The mom had the baby. An hour later, it was up and galloping along with the herd. And I thought, yeah, we're not like that. (laughs) (laughs) Not even close. God God can make, obviously, things that are able to run within an hour. And he's made us very different from that. And that's the illustration he's trying to make here. That's, That's the point he's trying to make. Look at them. See how they are? The kingdom of God belongs to ones like that. To such, to such, ones like this, the the kingdom of God belongs to them. Now, in saying this, he didn't mean in any way that children are sinless, that they don't possess the same sin nature that's been passed down to all of Adam's descendants. He didn't mean that at all. Once a child gets to an age of proper understanding, he has to repent and believe, just like all of us do, in order to be saved, because he needs to be saved. 
Yes, there are things about children that Jesus says are the qualities, are the mindsets, are the heart patterns possessed by those who belong to the kingdom. That's what he's saying. These qualities that they have, these mindsets that they have, and these heart patterns that they have, they are to be possessed also by those who belong to the kingdom. They're supposed to be like them in those ways. But there are other qualities. There are other mindsets. And there are other heart patterns of a child that we don't want to imitate, right? They are sinners. And if you've ever raised one, you know that. Vodi Bakum. Trish, have you ever heard of him? She's like one of his greatest cheerleaders, by the way. That's why I said that. She loves Vodi. Vodi Bakum, in regards to how much anger he has seen come out of his own small children, had this to say. The reason why God makes them so small is because if they were bigger, they'd kill you. <laughs> he said, that's not a little angel. That's a viper in a diaper. <laughs> so yes, there are traits that a child possesses that those who belong to the kingdom must possess, yes. But there are sinful traits that we don't want to possess that are also in children. So this is in no way implying that children are somehow sinless, don't need a savior. Not saying that. He's saying, look at their dependence. Look at their trust. Look at their hope. Look at the fact that they have no attitude of importance or pride. That's what he's pointing out. But they are also descendants of Adam, as you and I. So therefore, gospel-saturated homes will ensure that they're hearing the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, by which they may be saved. Bible-saturated homes will ensure that they're hearing all that they need to go and grow to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And prayer-saturated homes will ensure that God is hearing daily prayers on their behalf as they face each different stage of life that they come to and by His grace face it with the help of the Lord. He didn't know I was going to do this, and nor did she, but remember that song that we just sang, um, Open Up Every Door, Write It On Every Wall. Um, I don't know if you noticed this about if you've ever been over to the Richardson's homes, or even if you noticed it when that we were filming our services in the past, but Seth and Allison are very big on making sure that they have Scripture written in their old home, uh, there was a chalkboard that you guys used to write scripture on. I noticed it whenever we would film our church services. I could see it in the background. and There was a scripture written there. And then guess what? I went to, I just showed up. I, didn't, I knew they wouldn't care. I just showed up one day at their home that was being built. And I said, hey, I just wanted to see it. Can you walk me through it? And they said, absolutely. And wasn't finished. But you know what I found? That there were scriptures written on boards that were just up that hadn't been covered yet. They had written verses on boards that they knew were going to get covered. And I didn't say anything. I just 
filed it away, said, hmm, who knows, that might be a future sermon illustration, and here it is. They made sure that Scripture was a priority in their home, so much so, we're going to even write it on places that we know are about to get covered up. But until then, we're going to look at it and read it. So, it's not so much a metaphor after all, brother. You said it was just a metaphor. No, you do it. Y'all do it. Jesus loves children, and he also loves them because of what they have to teach us. He loves them for who they are, but he also loves them for what they have to teach. Look at verses 15 and 16. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them up in his arms, blessed them, laying his hands on them. So notice Jesus said, the kingdom of God is received. Did you catch that? It's received. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is received, not earned. I want to point that out. The kingdom of God is received, not earned. It must be received because Jesus must be received. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. They'll be behind me as well. John 1, 10 through 12 on this topic. He was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jews. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. It's Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not, shall not enter it. Now this makes sense because once in the kingdom, according to John's verses here, we're called children of God. Isn't it interesting? You've got to be like a child to enter it. And then once you enter it, you're called one of God's children. As Christians, as Christians, we point to Jesus. That's our job. We point to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And we point to the fact that no one goes to the Father except through him. That's what we do. It's our job to do that. And then Jesus points to someone else. Jesus points to a child. And Jesus says, you now need to become like this child. If you do not receive the kingdom of God like this child, you won't enter it. With trust, with absolute dependence. And Jesus does exactly what the parents were hoping he would do. They get what they wanted. They bring their children into the presence of Jesus, hoping, asking, will you bless them? and they get what they want. He repeats an action we've already seen him perform in the previous chapter. Just in this last chapter of Mark, we saw him take a child up in his arms. Remember, he was teaching the 12, and he took a child up in his arms. He does it again. Takes a child up in his arms. Probably, we don't know, but probably doing it one by one with each child, giving each child special attention. You know how happy it makes a child when you focus on them. Someone told me once, when you're talking to a child, if you can, try to get on their level. It shows 
hey, I think you're important. And children will even sometimes do certain things, bring out a certain toy when you're around or something like, just hoping you'll say, oh, wow, do you have a toy? And they light up, they say, oh, I was, I was wanting you to notice me. And when you do, oh, wow, they usually never forget it, actually. It's very important to them. You know, um, when I was younger, um, we used to go to these camps, and it was a Christian camp, and there was a certain one of the counselors there who was over our group, and I'll tell you something, I don't, I can't, re- I can't recall one thing he ever said to me. I know he said a lot to me, but I don't remember anything he ever said to me. You know, I do remember how he made me feel. He made me feel very important because he took time to talk to me and pay attention to me. And that's what I remember. I remember nothing about what he said. But I remember he thought I was important and special to him. And he was so kind. Jesus, I believe, took the time to pick up each one, I believe, and make each one feel important and special to him because they are special to him. And the text says, he blessed them. He blessed them. In my introduction, I said to all of you, I said our Lord has something to teach us about children, about ourselves, and about himself. So let me conclude with this then. We've already been learning about all those things though, haven't we? Let me conclude with this, some application for our part. Parents and grandparents, let me tell you the best way that you can bless your children, and it's not by turning them into idols whom you essentially worship. It's not how you bless them. It's not also by pampering your children. It's not how you bless them. It's also not by giving them everything under the sun. It's not how you bless them. Nor is it by placing them at the center of your universe, a place that they will gladly occupy, by the way. (laughs) I told you children like attention. That that can be overdone. (laughs) That can be overdone. And they'll just keep taking it and taking it and taking it. They really like attention. They will gladly be the center of your universe, so there has to be a balance. The way you bless your children is by having a biblical view of children. It's the best way that you can be a blessing to them, is have a biblical view of them. See them as who they are. Yes, blessings from the Lord, as the psalmist says. He says that. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. You know what a quiver is? A quiver holds arrows. I tell people, our quiver only holds five, so it's full. So yes, see them as the blessing that they are, as the psalmist says, but also see them as sinners in need of a Savior who possess a sin nature. You have to see them as that as well, or you will not have a balanced view of them, nor will you be a blessing to them. Love them by raising them up in the nurture and teachings of the Lord. Absolutely. Saturating them with the Word of God. This is how you also bless them. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring everything I've said to you to your remembrance. 
Now, you can't remember something that was never there in the first place, can you? For example, Butch doesn't remember the time that he and I rode the Batman roller coaster ten times in a row. You know why he doesn't remember that? Because it didn't happen. He can't remember something that never happened. Nor can children have Scripture brought to their remembrance that they don't know. And so, parents, saturate your children with Scripture. Though they are not saved yet, perhaps, that's fine. The Lord is going to possibly use one of those verses to save them. A pastor that I used to sit under, Pastor Brother Jimmy Wilson, um, he had his doctorate and everything, but he just, he was Brother Jimmy. That's all anyone ever called him. He told me that he would go to these, these things like vacation Bible things um, when he was a child, and they had to memorize Scripture, and if you memorize Scripture, you got a prize and things like that. So he had to really work hard on this one Scripture and memorize it, but he didn't get saved until he was a teenager. But you know what verse the Lord was pounding on his heart the day that he walked the aisle and did get saved? A verse that he had to memorize when he was a little boy from Sunday school or vacation Bible school. He said, that's the verse that the Lord kept hitting me with. So, saturate them with the Word of God, the only source for the truth that can save them. Next, bring them to Jesus by exposing them to his presence in church by ensuring that you're only attending a church that holds the Word of God in very high esteem. The Word of God is honored in this church. Whichever church you choose, I'm saying it needs to be one where the Word of God is honored, obeyed, celebrated, and boldly proclaimed. I could recommend a good one, ChristFellowship.org. There are many out there, though. And, of course, it would be naive of me to think that this is the only church you will ever attend until you die. Things, people move. These grow up and have children of their own. So what I'm saying is, make sure you're exposing your children to the presence of Jesus by making sure they are in a good Bible-centered church. Next, expose Jesus Expose your children to the presence of Jesus in the car, even, by what you listen to. Make sure that what's going into their ears, even when you do the most mundane things like just driving, make sure that what you're listening to is going into those little ears, and your ears are things that are wholesome, things that are praise-filled, and even helps aid them in memorizing Scripture. I've memorized some Scriptures because it was put to a song. If you want... Two examples of things that have helped me and helped our children. You can write down one group's called the Sons of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. They do an excellent job at putting scripture to song, Sons of Korah. And then also for younger children, a lady named Judy Rogers. Very good at putting scripture to song or just having good, wholesome truths put into a song. Sons of Korah and Judy Rogers. Lastly, expose them to the presence of Jesus in your home by creating an environment of love, 
uh, an environment of, of course, proper care, uh, heartfelt conversations, warm hugs, but also in proper discipline. You know how you love your children is also through proper discipline. Listen to Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. But whoever does not hates him is what the Bible says. Proper discipline is also very important to making, honestly, a child feel loved because you're giving them rules that say, because I love you, I'm not going to let you do wrong. It would be unloving of me to let you act in a sinful way. I've had our children get upset with me, of course, because they were disciplined. And I had to remind them, it's good of me as the leader of this home to punish wrongdoing, isn't it? And of course they say yes. I've even had children come up and just a few minutes after the spanking, hug me. There's something about proper discipline done in the right way that actually shows I see that you love me. And sometimes that's why children that come, through, come from broken homes act out so wildly. They're looking for some type of correction. It's crazy that they would do that. It's just almost illogical to, to think let me, let me act out so I will get punished and I'm going to get angry about the punishment. But it's because they're actually looking for boundaries. Children want that. They think that they don't, but they do. So this is also a part of exposing them to Jesus. Because last I checked, the Bible says, of every Christian whom the Lord loves, he disciplines chastens if you had the King James. Also in the home, you teach children about Jesus by how you talk to your spouse and even how you reconcile with your spouse after an argument. Children very often see the argument or hear it. Children, it's very uncommon that they get to see how you reconcile after that argument. When it's appropriate, let your children witness you apologizing to one another. All of us know how to argue. Very few of us know how to reconcile after the argument. You know why? A lot of us have never seen it done or never seen it done the right way. So expose your children to how Jesus acts by how you speak to your wife or husband but then also show your children this is also how Christ followers act. They apologize to one another when there's been wrong done. It's very rare, very rare that in an argument someone's completely, totally, 100% innocent. It's, it's, it's more likely that this person's mostly wrong, yes, but you know what? I'm kind of wrong too in how I responded to their wrongness. And so there's usually apologies that need to be made on both sides. Now, here's what usually happens is the one person says, this person has to apologize first. 
and then I'll be okay with things. Then I'll let the ice in the air melt. You know what I found? If I initiate the, yes, I usually want the apology first. I usually do. Even if I'm the one that was the jerk, I was the 90% at fault, maybe she was only 10%, but I'm usually the one that says, no, she needs to apologize to me first, or else I'm angry. You know what I found? If I'll go apologize, if I'll give her what I'm wanting so badly, if I'll give it first, guess what I get in return? I get, well, you know, and I'm sorry about this. So when it's appropriate, I've let our children witness the reconciliation part too. Because they've gotten to witness, or hear at least almost all the arguments. But very rarely do we let them, do we show them, and this is how you make up. That's also how you show, this is how Christ works in a family. This is also exposing your children to Jesus. Parents, we're given the responsibility to raise our children and to teach them all that they need to know and all they need to know in order to know Jesus. But Jesus, in closing, Jesus has also shown us, hasn't he, that children come into the world with the key to teaching us how we are to receive the kingdom. We all have something to teach each other, it sounds, doesn't it? I hope this has been helpful. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the fact that you expose us to truth in order that we may expose others to it. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to all of us to be received. We cannot earn your grace or forgiveness. You give it to us in your son. Lord, I pray those of us who have children of our own or those of us that have children in the larger family that you would please help us, Lord, to be not only exposing them to the Lord Jesus, not only bringing them to the Lord Jesus like these parents did, but Lord, help us also to be learning from children how we are to receive the kingdom. Humble, dependent, hopeful, trusting, and with empty hands. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.